I began to realize that um, that's a whole lot of stuff to deal with on one Sunday. It actually, today's sermon, we could actually turn into three sermons, so sorry if it's going to be long. Actually, I'll try to keep it normal, but which is long. But I believe it's an important piece. I'm going to read a couple of verses for you. The first one is found in Matthew. I want to switch that slide. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. I think uh, Matthew 26 and verse 29. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is Jesus, and I think he's, he's looking forward to Revelation chapter 19. Not 19 as it says on the slide, but 19 verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he, this angel, said to me, these, word, these are the true words of God. And I think Jesus, as he was, as he was instituting the Lord's Supper, he was at the end of that saying, the next time we eat this will be together at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the presence of God. In the Old Testament, there were various meals that pointed to God being present with us and, and eating with the Lord. And, and I think the most significant meal was a Passover meal. I'm not going to dig too much into that, but I encourage you to. One theologian has written, God's aim has been to bring the, His people into fellowship with Himself. And one of the great joys being that we can eat and drink in the presence of the Lord. And as we gather every week around this table, it's a, it's a small taste of what heaven's going to be like. With those thoughts in mind, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read chapter 10, verse 16, and then I'm going to dive into chapter 11, verse 17 and following. But very quickly, 10, verse 16, we read these words, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Kind of tuck those words in the back of your mind. And now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 20. When you come together, it is, it, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. 
Paul carries on in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. Let's pray. God, I want to say thank you for recording these words and preserving them for us even today. I thank you the way you moved the Apostle Paul to address the situation in Corinth. I pray the same spirit that moved him to pen these words would be the same spirit that would teach us this morning. So Father, I pray that you would speak, not Elroy, that you would do with your word as you have purposed. In your precious name we pray. Amen. It was between the years of 1555 and 1558 in, in England that Bloody Mary, Queen Mary, what was known popularly as Bloody Mary, put to death some 288 Protestants. Men, women, and children. A number of them great pastors, one of them being Thomas Cranmer, who was responsible for putting together the Common Book of Prayer, which was instrumental in shaping the nation of England. And the reason for those 288 who had been put to death was because they would not hold to her understanding of the Lord's table. All they had to do was agree with her and they would have lived. We have a second story. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says... Hey, you, the church in Corinth, there are some of you who are ill and some have actually died because of the way you've been abusing the Lord's table. 
I, I hear the first story, I read the second story, and I go, this is pretty serious. And I have to admit that I've probably taken it a little too lightly. I, I don't know about you, but I can only speak for myself. And I think that's why it's important we address and look at the situation. This, What does this mean as we gather around the table? How ought we to behave as we gather around the table? What is the Lord speaking to community grace? As we begin to shape and mold this young congregation, or maybe better said, as Christ begins to shape and mold us. I, I ask you this morning to listen closely and examine your heart. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, I want to answer three questions. What went wrong at Corinth? What's the meaning of the Lord's Supper? Probably spend most time right there. And finally, in light of this, how ought we to live? Okay? So what went wrong at Corinth? Cor the, the, the letters to the Corinthians, just it's a fascinating letters to me for a number of reasons. Paul begins the letter by calling them saints. Believers. Set apart for the things of God. Sanctified or holy. That's what that word means. And then he, then he just starts blasting them with all of their behaviors that are not in keeping with who they are in Christ. Let's take a look at a few very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see how they were divided. There was disunity. In verse 1, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants of Christ. In verse 3, For you still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, and are you not me being merely human? They, they were going, I follow this guy, I follow this guy, and there was factions and divisions among this group. The Apostle Paul addresses that. In chapter 5, we see that there's sexual immorality among this church that was such a nature that was um, not even done in the context of those outside the church. And he speaks that they need to address this. And he says in verse 6 of chapter 5, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened, the bread of sincerity and truth. And he says in the context of the church, If such a person claims to be a follower of Christ and he's, and he's living in such a manner, uh, he, he, he cannot gather around the table with us. 
goes on in chapter 10. Verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, and you hear Paul's love for these people. He calls them the church. He calls them saints. But, he, but he's crying out because of his love for them to, to live in a certain different way. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And again, it's in that context. He talks about the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Now, what is this idolatry? He lists it. He talks about it in the beginning of the chapter. He, he talks about idolatry. He talks about indulging in sexual immorality, which is a, a word for every kind of, of, a, of a sexual practice outside of the context of a man and a woman in the context of marriage. He talks about grumbling in verse 10. And then in verse chapter 11, the text that we have here, um, he's addressing specifically as they gather together, probably on the first day of the week, to gather to eat. It seems like it was more than just a simple meal like we have. It was probably bigger. It seems that people brought their own food, maybe a bit of a potluck, I don't know. But it seems that those who had more, came and ate their own food. Some of them actually getting drunk. Now, we don't have that problem here. We've got grape juice. By the way, that's primarily because we rent this facility and they've asked us not to use alcohol. But there was others that were coming that had nothing. They were probably the, the lower in the economic structure of society in that context. And they came and they had very little and they walked away hungry. They didn't share with one another. They didn't even relate to one another, it seems like. And, and Paul addresses this. So how can you be so selfish? How can you be so... How can you humiliate those who have nothing? Can I commend you in this? No. What you're doing is actually not the Lord's Supper. Even though they were doing the Lord's Supper, they weren't doing the Lord's Supper. Then Paul addresses the second question. What is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? In verses 23 to 26, that's where I'd really like to sit on the park bench for a while and, and take a peek at this thing, okay? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. I want you to notice, first of all, that the Apostle Paul says that this Lord's Supper, this gathering around the table, this breaking the bread and, 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 and drinking of the, of the cup is to be done in remembrance of Christ. He says it twice. He says it in verse 24, and then he says it again in verse 25. 
But if you pause long enough, you begin to see what we're to remember. When we remember Christ through the bread, what are we remembering? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus. I want you to notice that word Lord. That word means master. But stronger than that, it was a word that was used by the, the, the authors of um, the New Testament to replace the, the word in Hebrew, which was Yahweh. And what's significant, on a number of occasions, it was used for Jesus himself. Meaning the God who was, the God who is, and the God who always will be. The self-existent one. He says, that one told us about this. He instructed us. He commanded us. He's the one who instituted it. And when was that? Ha- when did that happen? On the night when he was betrayed. I want you to notice that word. You may know the story of how one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, turned on Jesus and betrayed Jesus and turned him over to the authorities so that he could be arrested and so that he could be crucified upon the cross. He did it for a few pennies. Now 30 pieces of silver, but in light of who he was and who he is, that's astounding. And we're called to remember that it was God himself, the God who created the heavens and the universe, who told us to do this, and it was that God who was betrayed. Our minds are supposed to go back to the time when Christ goes to the cross on our behalf. We're told in verse 24, and when he had given thanks, knowing full well what was, was about to happen, where he was headed to the cross to be crucified. Jesus gives thanks for the cup and for the bread. Now I think he's thanking God for the food that was before them that would sustain them in the days to come. But even bigger than that, Jesus was thanking him that that this bread and what this cup actually represented would be sufficient to save us, to rescue us. And then this Jesus took that bread and he broke it. He didn't get Peter to break it. He broke it. Just like he laid down his life for us. Yes, the Romans. Yes, the Jews together put him to the brought him to the cross but it was jesus we're told that laid down his life willingly on our behalf and as we pause to think about this i can see the corinthians reading this and they're going and i won't share my meal with my brother Now, he carries on, 
not only are we to remember Christ in the breaking of the bread, but we're to remember Christ in the, the cup. Look at verse 26. He says, this is cup is a new covenant in my blood. What does he mean by this new covenant? We could spend weeks on this, but we're going to try to quickly do this really quickly. I want you to take a peek at Exodus chapter 24. In Exodus 24, we're, we're, we're going to read uh, verse 6. We're going to read about something that isn't very, very pretty. Verse 6, And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basin, basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. These were blood from, the, from these oxen that were being offered for the, the uh, peace offering and the uh, burnt offerings. And he takes half of the blood and he sprinkles it on the altar which, which the animal had been slain on. Now hang with me. The second half of that blood, look what he does. Verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. So he took the law, the Ten Commandments, and the extended law that we find in, in the first five books of the Bible, and he read that to the people. He calls it a book of covenant, a book of promise. And he read it in the hearing of the people, and they, the people, said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. They're making a promise. We're going to do this, God. And then Moses took the rest of the blood. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. Aren't you glad we don't live in the Old Testament? He threw it on the people and he said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. God had said, This is what you ought to do. The people said, We will do it. The, 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 the animal was sacrificed. The blood signified this covenant, the old covenant. Then go on, verse 9, Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. That's a fascinating statement. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like a very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. It wasn't all the people that ate and drank in the presence of God. It wasn't all the people who saw God. But it was it Moses, it was Aaron, it was Nadab, it was Abihu, and 70 of the elders. And they ate and drank in His presence. I think it's a picture of Revelation 19.9. It's a picture of what it was like back in the garden. Now we... As you read the Old Testament, as we've been going through the life of David, we begin to realize that these people never did keep their promise. They failed over and over and over and over again. It's in light of that, the prophets began to speak of a new covenant, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But in Jeremiah chapter 31, we, we, we hear of this new covenant. Let's read this. It's important. To understand the Lord's Supper, we need to understand this. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares 
the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Did you get that? There's going to be a different covenant. It's not like the last one that they broke, the one we read about. This covenant's going to be different. Verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. <laughs> and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each one, each brother say, and know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This new covenant, notice, in this new covenant, it's not going to be written on stones, and it's not going to be preserved on paper. It's going to be a covenant that He's going to write on our hearts. Now He says He's going to do this to the people of Israel. He's going to write this covenant upon their hearts. Apostle Paul will talk about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Ezekiel will talk about that. That is the Spirit coming within them. It's, 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 a, it's a covenant that they are now able to keep. Not only does he say he's going to write it in their hearts, but he says that, that they will all know God. Not just 70 elders, but they will all know God. They'll all have a relationship with Him. They'll all be in His presence, however you want to paint that picture. That's, a, that's an incredible. There's a, as as, the, as the, the people of Israel read this, they must have been longing for this. Oh God, would you, would you cause this to happen? Not only would He put the law in their heart, not only would they know God, but they would become His people. And what's astounding is when Jesus institutes this Lord's Supper, He says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. And Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, guess what? That's not just about the nation Israel, but that's all of Abraham's children, which includes every human race. And why would these things happen? Because the Lord would forgive their iniquity and we remember their sins no more. Apostle Paul is saying, as you gather around the table, remember the Lord. Remember how He instituted this. Remember that it was on the night that he was betrayed as he goes to the cross. Remember that he, before he does that, he gives thanks. Remember that he breaks his bread. He lays down his life. Remember that his, his blood was shed so that our sins might be forgiven so that we can be part of this new covenant. We can know God, that we could have his law written in our heart, his spirit within us, and that by his grace, by His incredible grace, we'd become His people. You see, this is not just a ritual we do every Sunday. This is overwhelming significance throughout the history of the church. 
Men and women and children have died for the meaning of this. And some men and women and children probably have died because they have abused it. But to remember Christ and all of His fullness as we gather around the table. But in doing so, we're told in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Every time we break this bread and we dip it in the cup and we gather around the table and we stop and we remember what we're doing is we're telling the world about Jesus. We're telling each other about Jesus. It's like we're preaching the Scriptures to one another. Calvin called it a divine theater. But I want to highlight one other piece from that middle section of what does a supper mean. Notice Jesus as he breaks the bread and he lifts up the cup. He says, this is my body and this is my blood. Well, the church has fought over what does that mean, but, but let's just put it down very... Jesus wasn't saying that this somehow this this bread is Jesus, but it represents Him. It points to Him. In some beautiful way, in some special way, He's present with us. In some significant way, He's, 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 he's speaking to the church in Corinth, and He's saying to them, this is My body. Do this in remembrance of Me. In some special way, as we gather here in Calgary, he says to Community Grace, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. He's with us. Where two or three are gathered, Christ is with us. He's present. He's here. So if the one who, who, who laid down his life on our behalf is with us as we gather in a circle and I'm, I'm standing here, and Sam's standing here, and let's say Megan's standing here, and if there's something between me and Sam, if I hold any bitterness in my heart because of something maybe Sam said or did, how can, I, how can I stand here and not take care of that? How can I come to the table if I'm not really one of His? It's simply coming to the table. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I believe all those things will be true of you, and, and, and I want to follow you, and I want to be like you. And, and God, because your Spirit is in me, because you've written your law in my heart, I want to know you, and I want to be like you. Help me. And where I fall short, forgive me, and, and, and help me to make these things right. And it's not Elroy that's serving the table. It's Jesus who serves the table every week. He's present with us. I think it broke his heart when 
as it did Paul, as Jesus looks at the Corinthians and goes, well, this guy's going off getting drunk on, at the supper, and this guy is going away hungry, and they're not sharing, and they're not, they're, they're not even, they're not united. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, we read at the beginning, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? That word there is koinonia, fellowship. That does not mean that we have a cup of coffee with each other. It means we participate. We are one. We hold. We are common and united. And so we call it communion. And that should be evident by the way we live. So how is this to be done? What ought we to do? How ought we to live? I think in every church there are genuine and there are false professions. In fact, Jesus among 12 had one who said one thing, but he was another. And I think Paul alludes to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18 and 19. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He says that's, that's, just, that's reality, but at the same time, the entire point of the text is that there should be a striving on our part to make sure that there's a purity around the table as best we can. And how do we do that? The text says, examine yourself. That's what it says. Verse 28, let a person examine himself or herself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Before you come to the table, ask the question, Sam, are we okay? Uh, you don't have to do that with every person and look them in the eye, but I, I think we know when, when the Spirit is tugging on our, on our heart and our conscience and saying, you're holding this against this person. Deal with it. Go take care of it. Make it right. There might be some in this room who, who've never really you, you, you come up and you take part and you dip it in and you do this thing every week, but you really don't believe in everything I said about who this Jesus is and what he did. This table's not for you. No, it is if you say, Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me. Sorry. I, I, I believe you. I have trouble believing that, but, but Father, then come. Do you hear me? Examine yourself. Don't just go through the motions. But not only that, he says, examine yourself. And then the very next verse, he says in verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on, on himself. What does he mean by discerning the body? It speaks of a judgment. It speaks of making a, a judgment call. What do you mean by discerning the body? Well, there's, there's debate on it. Some say, well, he could mean discerning the body of Christ. 
looking around the room and going, okay, well, how can I love that person across the, the table? How can I intentionally get my, involve myself in that person's life or care for that person? A discerning of the body of Christ. It could mean something to that effect, which would speak to the church in Corinth very specifically. But I think us as well. But it, it, it could be by, by simply being the body of Jesus. In other words, pausing to reflect on who this Jesus is, not simply in a, a memorial and remembering, oh, I long for the days when he walked the earth and, and when he did all these things. Yes, we are to remember what he did and who he is, but in light of that, how ought we to live? discerning the body. If I pause and recognize the special presence of the Lord in our place, have I considered the great meaning of His body and blood, or have I seen this as just simply an ordinary meal or some mere ritual? But not only are we to examine ourselves and discern the body, but um, I think the very nature of this text and this letter it falls upon some of us to warn. The Apostle Paul, what is he doing? He's warning this church. He's warning individuals. And it sounds like when he gets there, he's going to do some of it in person. The last verse of this chapter. And that means as your pastor... Is my job, as I get to know you, and because I love you, and I see patterns in your life that are not in keeping with who this Jesus is and what this Jesus has done, I need to gently and humbly come to you and say, Do you know what this means? In fact, I think you're giving me I think you're giving me the platform to do so if you come to the table. Now, you also have a platform to do that with me. Did you hear that? If you see things in my life that are not consistent with who God is and what Christ has done, You're to come to me as well. Humbly, yes. Gently, yes. If I don't listen to you, then you, then you need to bring some others. Hopefully you do that because you love me. Because do you see the alternative? Now, Paul's not making a decision. He's not saying that everybody in the church who's ill is because they've done something or everyone who's died is because they've done something wrong. That's not the case. We know that from other scriptures. But Paul says there are some. That is the reason why. And it's the same God who's alive and active 
in 2018 that was alive and active in 52 A.D. And we did not exhaust this subject. We did not exhaust this text. But I think with those words, I'll just simply pray. I don't think I need to say anything more, and I think we need to gather around the table. With one caution, you may have heard nothing but legalism. I hope that's not the case. We don't come to the table perfect. None of us are. We admit our brokenness, and we come to the table. We take care of what we need to take care of, and then we come to the table. Because we're all broken, and we need the table. We need the work of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. As I think of these words, and I think of who you are, as I remember you, I remember your, the blood of the covenant, I remember the bread that was broken, I remember your body that was put upon a cross and your blood that was shed. Marvel. Thank you. My Jesus, I, I don't deserve your kindness and your goodness and your grace. But I thank you. And Father, I pray that as we gather around the table today and then in successive weeks, that we'd be a people who want to keep this table to the best of our ability pure. And so that means we examine ourselves and we graciously look across the table and go, you know what, I need to talk to that person tomorrow or even today or even right now. Father, would you be our teacher? In your name we pray. Amen. Around here, some of you are visiting this morning. We do communion a little different. We like to do it as a family. And so we gather maybe six or seven around the table. We simply break the bread. We, we dip it in the cup and and then together we take part. We do it as a family because we are one, as we heard. But please come. Please examine yourself. As we worship, remember, and pro proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.